0: And else a few things I, I want to bring to your attention. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, there will be a congregational meeting. So we'll sing our last song, and it will be like a three-minute time of passing. If, if you're going to stay for the meeting, great. Have a seat. If you need to go to the restroom or you, um, have a drink of water or what have you, you can do that, or you need to deal with your, your kids, and then we'll start the meeting uh, after that. We want to invite you to be a part of that. Also, um, next week, as Alex mentioned, there's going to be a time of baptism. We are still accepting uh, people that want to be baptized, and so uh, contact the office as soon as possible because we've got we've got to turn some things around. But it's one of the coolest things that we get to celebrate here at, at Marine as people follow Jesus in water baptism and, and proclaiming their faith in Him. So it's it's fantastic. And also the evening uh, Thanksgiving service is fantastic as well. And again, as we've done in the past, we're going to give an opportunity for you to share how God has been faithful to you and, and give thanksgiving uh, publicly. So be thinking about how maybe you want to express yourself. Not everybody does that, but it's a, a fantastic time, and it's very encouraging as we hear how God has been faithful in each one of our lives. So I want to encourage you about that. Also, on the 27th, we're going to have the president of our our fellowship, Scott Mathis, and his wife, Diana, here, and that will be the weekend uh at after Thanksgiving, and he is a super sweet-hearted guy, loves Jesus, and I think you will you'll feel the love of Christ as you hear him. So, wanna encourage you about what's coming up. Well, as Paul mentioned, <laughs> our nation has gone through an interesting week, hasn't it? And I'm just gonna start out with my own, my own voting experience this week. So, when I came to Rochester, you know, I, I registered right away when I got my Minnesota license, and I was at a church just down the road here on, on the frontage road, and was there for quite a few years, you know, never missing an election. And then I got a little blue card in the mail saying, "Hey, your polling place has changed." And so I went to another church on down the road. So, you know, I've been there for for a while, and you know, thought everything was good. I showed up there on Tuesday. I'm sorry, Mr. Brand, we don't have your name. I'm like, what? You know, and I handed him my my, you know. My driver's license, you know, just ID and address, and they looked at me and said, Oh, well, Ruby Lane, well, that's, that's, I think you're over on the northwest, I mean, northeast over here at this church. Really? Yeah. All right. So I got my car, drive, drove on over there, you know, and I get there and I I hand them my card. That's Jeffrey Brand, right? No, Nathan Brand. Oh. Sorry, we don't have your name here, sir. And when, I'm thinking there's a conspiracy against keeping pastors from voting. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of irritated here because, I you know, I've, I've taken up my morning, right? And But to know you're going to be over at this church, which happens to be the very first church I was using as a polling place. So I just, as I drove across town, I said, Lord, I can either be upset perturbed about this, but I want to choose to be thankful because you've given me the opportunity to vote. And there are many people who don't have that privilege, and many people who wait in line for hours and hours, and their votes don't count. But thank you for this opportunity. I just chose to say, Lord, I I want to be thankful rather than be perturbed. But later on that day, you know, I I came home. We had supper. I helped kids with, with homework and and all that stuff, and finally got everyone to bed, and then I couldn't resist. I had to turn on the television and say, what, what is going on? It's about 9 o'clock. And to my surprise, Donald Trump is the lead. Who could have known? Who could have known? You know, and what was the most interesting thing is I, I, I watched until 12, okay? That's uh, my true confession here. But as I watched, what was interesting was to... Watch the, the media there ask the question, how could we have gotten this so wrong? How, how did, how did we not figure this out? And I'm not saying this to throw the, the media under the bus. They were using polling tools that, you know, have been proven pretty, pretty accurate in the past. But they found themselves, finding themselves wrong. And here's the example of what I'm, I'm asking today. What happens when we think that we know something? We find out that we are wrong. And that's what we're going to look at today in the Corinthian church. So let me pray for us. And if you want to open your Bible, we'll be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. But let me pray for us. So, Lord, your word says, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And so, Lord, we confess that you have all power, you have all wisdom, and we ask you to share that with us. We ask you to help us align our hearts and our minds with you as we look into your We ask you to give us the wisdom of Jesus Christ that appears foolish to our world, but indeed is life you. So help us to see what you have for us today in your word. Lord Jesus, as you name our praise. and Amen. So again, we're in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 verses 18 to 23. The apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, who should, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, No more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. If you've been here through this series on 1 Corinthians, What I have to share with you is going to seem like a report from the repetition, redundancy, recount, recollection department. You see, Paul had planted the Corinthian church. We've seen that. And in his absence, they had become smug. They had become proud. They had become quite convinced of their own earthly wisdom, their own sophistication, if you will. And Paul had to confront them. He had to confront them about their divisions. where one was saying, well, I follow Paul. Another was saying, well, I follow Apollos. Another was saying, well, I follow Cephas or Peter. He had to confront them about their pursuit of human wisdom based in human strength, skill, and status and for neglecting what seems like the foolishness of God. That is Christ and Him crucified. And he reminds them that God actually demonstrated his power by reaching into their lives. People who were not necessarily wise by human standards, influential or of noble birth, but he reached in and he made them in Christ now righteous, now holy, and now redeemed. And he reminds them, even their ability to respond to God's wisdom, to God's gospel. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has to level with them. He says, guys, I know you think you're wise, I still have to address you as immature babies. Because of the factions that are among you. Those leaders that you are behind, they're all the same team. Paul planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God is the one who gave the growth. And God is building you into a building. A temple where His presence, His Holy Spirit is to dwell. Jesus is the foundation and you should take care about how you build upon that building. It needs to be in alignment with the foundation. With Jesus. Because what you build upon, what you build on that foundation will be tested by fire to see whether going to last, or whether it will be burned up. So he brings a summation of this whole discussion that we've been going through all these uh, six sermons to this. Summation of their pursuit of wisdom and sophistication. It's a call to exchange earthly wisdom for God's foolishness. A call to ex- exchange earthly wisdom for God's foolishness. And he starts out by saying in verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. It's a call for self examination. Get real, come clean. If you're heading down the wrong pathway, the person we often have to fool at first is ourselves. Be honest. Whose wisdom are you pursuing? Whose wisdom is influencing you? And in how we live. He says. Continuing on that same verse, if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age. And that's what many of the Corinthians desired. To appear wise. To appear sophisticated. To appear as those, you know, who would be admired and people would take notice, at least in the church. And of course they Christianized it, right? I follow Paul. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas, you know, all behind Christian leaders, but it was worldly. Again, it was appear to appear sophisticated. Now I'm using that word, sophisticated, because it's a word we use in our society, don't we? The word comes from the Greek word Sophia, or Sophos, which means wisdom. Like we have a little girl named Sophia here. We hope that she'll be wise too, right? But the way we use that word is in a manner of Someone who's kind of street smart, who's been educated, who's lived a little life, you know, kind of hip, kind of cool, kind of, you know, kind of James Bondi-esque, you know. And they, they know how to get around. They know how to live life. And they are no one's fool. Isn't that what we desire, to be nobody's fool? To appear calm, cool, collected, competent? No one likes to appear foolish, do they? That's exactly what Paul is advocating here. I want to tell you guys, become foolish. He says, second half of 18, you should become fools so that you will become wise. What did Paul mean? He means become foolish in Jesus. Become Jesus fool. Put all of your eggs in His basket. His gospel, what he did in giving himself up for us in his death and his resurrection. Put your trust there. Put your confidence there. Follow him. Take him seriously when he says deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yes. Yes. Don't pursue the things of this world. Pursue me. Follow me. Become a fool for Jesus. (laughs) Indeed, the exchange of worldly wisdom for this does seem foolish. But God has a different assessment of this. This is how he assesses worldly wisdom. Again, in chapter 1, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And then here in our passage, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. It's a reverse of what Paul mentioned in chapter 1 verse 23, where he says, you know, the gospel, Christ and Him crucified, that's a stumbling block to Jesus. And it's foolishness to Greeks. It makes no sense. But God says, you want to know what's truly foolish? It's when you live a life, a living a life like I don't see, like I don't care about what's going on. Or where you're living a life where you're saying, I don't think you exist. And verse 19 says, as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Quoting Job 5, God says, I, I do see I see everything you do. I see the motives behind everything you do. And I care. And I see it even though others don't see it. And I will hold you accountable. See, the wisdom of this age says things like this God helps those who help themselves. I suspect some of you are thinking, what's that in Proverbs? No, it's Ben Franklin. Things like the golden rule. Those who have the gold make the rules. It's okay to cheat as long as you don't get caught. If it is to be, well, then it's up to me. How about this one? Winning fixes everything. Really? He who dies with the most toys wins. Might makes right. Well, there's no absolute truth. It's all relative. And you have to help yourself before you can help others. You know, all those pithy sayings—they sound clever, they sound wise, they sound sensible—but it's all self-focused and self-reliant. God's, and we're basically saying the guy that. I know better than you do, God. But God shines his light, the truth on this. In verse 20 it says, And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. There are limitations to human wisdom, human intelligence, human knowledge. It's earthbound, it's earth-focused, and eventually it will end. It will pass away. It does not last. The one who is the Alpha and the Omega. The one who says, I am the beginning and the end. I see the beginning to the end. And the wisdom you're using is futile. That's what he says. He says, I will destroy it. Chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate." And this is where the tragedy of earthly sophistication comes into play. Thinking you know how life is to be lived, thinking you know how life is to play out, you find out that you're wrong. And there's no going back, and there's no do overs. And I want to I just want to encourage you, I don't know where everybody's at here spiritually today. But if you've been living by your own wits, by your own understanding. I want to encourage you to be a fool for Jesus. And I know that goes against everything that's in your flesh. But you have to understand God came from heaven to earth for you. To restore you to your maker. to Give you life that you do not have. And to give you wisdom You don't have in your flesh. It only comes from Him and in relation to Him. It changes your whole eternal destiny. If you're checking that out, what that means to follow Jesus, I'd love to visit with you. Because it's the biggest life decision you'll ever make. It will change you. It will be even challenging at times. But it's the most life giving decision you could ever. But in his conclusion in confronting the Corinthians for desire for human wisdom, Paul takes one thing one step further. And what he gives is a call to exchange the poverty of earthly wisdom for the riches of God's foolishness. Pick it up here at verse 21. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. The leaders that you're lining up behind, making factions over, stop it. Quit it. He says, if there's something to boast in, it's not that. Again, earlier in the same letter, chapter 1, verses 30 through 31. It was because of him, talking about God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become wisdom for us from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not about yourself, not about others. But about Jesus, He's the object of our boast. But now watch what Paul does. This is kind of interesting. We can pick it up at the end of verse 21. He says, "All things, or are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the, the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God." He flips their monikers, their slogans on their ear. As they're saying, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Cephas. He says, yeah? You follow Paul? Or Paul is yours? Well, guess what? So is Apollos. So is Peter. Because they're in Christ and you're in Christ. Therefore, you're all for each other. You're all together. You all have each other. It's Paul bringing the riches of relationship by inclusion with Christ and removing those barriers. Christ is a unifying factor. I guess here would be a a human example, right? We're a nation of immigrants. People come over from the old country, right? And then they assimilate and become Americans, right? So there might be two people who come over from the old country, and in their old country, they're enemies, right? They come over here, and now they're part of the United States, and they technically should be citizens of the United States, and for each other, not against each other. In the old country, they are enemies. In the new country, they are citizens. How much more in Jesus Christ? In Colossians 3.11, Paul will say this. In Christ, here there is no Gentile or Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but all, the Christ is all and is in all. <laughs> See, Christ removes those barriers. So there should be no division between Packer and white. And how about us here in the church, right? In, in relation to others, who call in the name of Jesus. So the Baptists should be for the Presbyterians, and the Fundamentalists for the Charismatics, and the Lutherans for the Evangelicals, and the Calvinists for the Arminians, because it was ordained before the foundation of the earth. They should exercise their free will. Think about that. But in Christ Jesus is a wealth of family relationships that we inherit. My brother Bob Mankaka. God brought him from the Democratic Republic of Congo. God invaded his life, made him his son. God invaded my life and made me be son. Bob and I are brothers. We had never had any natural relationship whatsoever So God brought us together here in Rochester, Minnesota. But we are one in Christ. Bob is mine and he is mine. Our brothers and sisters in Haiti. We have no natural relationship with them save for the fact that we go down there and serve Jesus. For them and they serve Jesus for us, but they are ours and we are theirs. We are one in Christ. My favorite rock star gave me this rock here today, and it's a polished rock, actually from off the roof of our of our building here. If you look very closely, it's it's one rock, but there are many little rocks contained within one rock. Many things. All these rocks are each other That's what Jesus came to do. Because of Christ. But then Paul takes this beyond divisions to show Christ, who is the wisdom of God, is indeed there all in all. Now listen to this. He says again in verse 21: all things are yours. And then he goes in this list. Starting with the world, the world where our God in Christ provides us with every good thing to enjoy, provide all of our needs in Christ Jesus. And yes, it is broken, but this is the place where Jesus will come, return to, redeem, restore, and eventually set up his kingdom here in a new Jerusalem, and we will reign him If you are in Christ. The world is yours. The world is ours. In life, life is yours because He is in control. Of you. And He said He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us every step of the way. Everything that comes our way comes through His loving hand. And we'll not leave this earth one second earlier than He says You will. If you're in Christ, the world will or in death and this is a tough one for many of us especially those of us who've lost loved ones our heart says this is not right but death again is a defeated foe I can hardly wait to get to the end of this book where, where Paul proclaims this but it says that death, even death cannot separate us from the love of Christ as he says in Romans eight thirty-seven. In fact, he says in, in chapter 14 of Romans as well, that whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. In fact, Jesus has flipped death on its ear to the point where Paul says, look, for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. In dying, I get to put, be put right in the presence of my Lord. My first love. And I shall live forever. In Christ, everything is yours, even in death. The present, which is in his hands. The future, which he says is if you're in Christ, you will appear with him in glory. It's glorious. And again, he says at the end of this, that all are yours. And you are of Christ. You see, being in Christ makes you a part of something so much bigger than puny, earthly wisdom, than petty earthly wisdom. You're part of something so much bigger. Life restored and redeemed. A new nature and identity. Adopted into a family where the earthly barriers are removed. You have a new purpose. To build his kingdom, to glorify him, to be the house of the Holy Spirit. You have rewards that you can earn that cannot be lost. You have a glorious future and a hope. And the Heavenly Father, who made us, whom we were separated from at the beginning of time, now we are reconciled. Who we were alienated from, we are restored. All because of Because of some foolishness in our God. Which is actually wisdom. All because Christ is of God. Paul's trying to say, this is the true wisdom. This is the true sophistication. This is the true way to live life. And I hope you are encouraged by that because that's the way he wants to live in us. That's the life he wants to live in us. Let me pray for us and I'll invite the worship team to make the way out of it. Huh. So God, if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes we do